Welcome to the Geek-Centric Podcast, and welcome back to our Watch Club for Star Wars Ahsoka. What was first just a dream has become a frightening reality for those who may oppose us. Welcome back to Watch Club. My name is Nate, and this is our Watch Club for Star Wars Ahsoka Part 6, titled Far, Far Away, directed by Jennifer Getzinger. Uh, if you're joining us for the first time, this is Watch Club, our weekly review series, kind of like a book club, but way better. Keep in mind, we will be going into full spoilers for this series and Star Wars in general, so if you haven't watched this week's episode yet, be sure to do so, and then come right back in less than 12 parsecs. Now, before we all pack up our hermit shell selves, uh, let me introduce you to my furry companion joining me today. He is no Jedi. He's my own little hermit crab freak. He's Justin the Lothcat Lawrence. How's it going, dude? Doing well, man. I am very excited to talk about this episode. I, I posted a tweet. It's like every week. Every week? After an episode. After an episode. It's just perfection. It's, I, I posted that gif of... Michael Fassbender and uh, <laughs> as Magneto. Yeah, this is perfection. Perfection. It's, it's it's literally perfect Star Wars. So I'm I'm totally down to talk more and more about this show because to this week's episode for sure it gets the ball rolling, man. We're we're the on the way rolling. to the end, yeah. dude. And I mean, you know, I think this episode, especially for you as a Turtles fan, we got some. Mm-hmm. Uh, we got some little freaks, some little some little half-shelled yeah. little creatures. All they needed to do was give him some ninja capabilities, which, hey, that could happen. <laughs> that could still we happen. Could see that. We could see that. So. <laughs> but speaking of this uh, this new little group of freaks, you know, Star Wars loves a group of little freaks. And I wanted to, you know, I think a lot of them start off controversial. Uh, maybe they cause a bit of a divide in the fandom like we saw with Ewoks, but I think eventually we all grow to love them. I wanted to ask you, Justin, before we get into today's uh, watch club, who, who's your favorite species of little freaks from within the Star Wars galaxy? That might seem really conventional, but I'll probably go with the Ewoks. You know, like to yeah. your point, it was a bit of a love-hate relationship when I first was introduced to them. <laughs> um, and I also think just the way that they were sort of utilized over time. Uh, as like sort of the 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 kitty part of of Star Wars, uh, sure, yeah, to sort of market it that way. It, it might have left a, a, a sour taste in my mouth at the time, just not understanding, you know, how how could something so serious and so so focused and, and <laughs> so in important seriousness, yeah, and that yeah. important suddenly deviate with these Ewoks. But you know, you come to understand their uh, what they symbolize in Return of the Jedi. Um, and and their importance uh, as sort of a a a symbol of what so many went through under the rule of the empire. Um, mm-hmm. So I think that in a lot of ways, I, I came around on their their story and and was less was less concerned about you know the sort of implications that it has as a commercialized item and understood <laughs> it as as something that is actually kind of more of smart. It you know it it it. Ta- it caters to the younger audience but it also can can draw in relevance if you can look past it uh it draws in relevance that you can uh, you can understand what they're fighting for and why why they are uh you know why they are willing to put themselves at risk to help the rebellion uh so yeah i think that they they would probably be i guess not my favorite but like they would be the ones that i think of for top of mind that kind of 
exemplify the importance of of these you know as you put it little freaks i would just say little creatures (laughs) little creatures no they're little (laughs) freaks they're all little freaks we're all we're all freaks uh freaks and geeks here but i think um you know, I think the argument back then was Star Wars isn't supposed to be cute. It's not supposed to be cuddly. They're just trying to sell cute little bears. But I would even argue that, like, the Jawa were some of the original cuties. I think, heck, even the Tauntaun was, like, kind of cute. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, but I'm, I'm, gonna, I'm not going to go old school uh, for my choice uh, because immediately when I think of Little Freaks uh, and ever since, ever since the rise of Skywalker and especially in Mando Season 3... Uh, I gotta go with my guys, the Anzellans. Uh, Babu Frick, uh, I think, is just absolutely incredible. And Babu I think Freak, bro. Babu, Babu freak, freak. He's a little freak, and he's. Yeah. It's just the fact that they're so like proficient in droid repair. I love them. I love that Grogu loves them. Um, and yeah, they're my they're my favorite. And I'm still dreaming, longing for the day that we get to go back to Batu, and I can own my very own. Babu Frick. Have you seen this? They have the like the life-size Babu Frick that oh, you yeah. can Yeah. Oh. I need yeah. it. I, I need have a it. Funko Pop somewhere here. Oh, I love him so is, much. Is of him. So, yeah. <laughs> He's so cute. Yeah. Um, but yes, we're going to talk about those little freaks in depth a little bit more. Uh, but I do just want to pause to remind you listening that we here at Geekcentric uh, do support the WGA and SAG-AFTRA as they strike to get the contract they deserve. Uh, without incredible writers and actors uh, like the ones that make this very series, we we wouldn't get all the wonderful stories from a galaxy far, far away that we love so much. So if you want to support the actors and the writers of the things that we love, you can do so by checking out the links in our description. Uh, now, let's get into this episode, part six, titled Far, Far Away. Uh, this week, we pick up soaring through hyperspace faster and farther than we've ever seen before. Colors flick, uh, flicker amongst rays of light, creating a tunnel surrounding a pod of Purgle. In the mouth of the largest one, we watch as Ahsoka and Huyang discuss Sabine and the fact that she went with the enemy willingly. Ahsoka laments how Sabine could have ended all of this. No Thrawn, no war. And Huyang interjects and says, and no Ezra. Ahsoka says, maybe with the right training, Sabine could have made the right choice. Uh, and Hu Yang says, perhaps for Sabine, it was the only choice. Ahsoka quickly shifts the conversation by asking Hu Yang to tell her one of the stories of the history of the galaxy from parts one, two, and three. Uh, and he begins to tell her by saying, a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. Freaking incredible, freaking badass way to open the episode. Uh, let's talk about this opener, Justin. What did you think of, A, like the the new intergalactic light speed that we're kind of seeing for the first time? Uh, and then what did you think Ahsoka meant when she said uh, the first of the three parts of the history of the galaxy was the best? Because I know it's been it's been debated since the episode dropped. Well, I, I think in regards to that, I think it's a little tongue in cheek about, you know, <laughs> it's just how people always look at, you know, the trilogies of stories, right? The yep. first one is always the best. OG trilogy. Right? I, yeah, Can't exactly. Beat it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. People have said like the OG trilogy or the first movie mm-hmm. uh, when they're breaking it down. I know there's a lot of there's been a lot of discussion online, but I just thought of it as a tongue in cheek sort of thing of, you know, how fans always are. 
right? It's really yep. about fandom where it's like, oh, number two, no, but f- the first one is always the best, right? Like, <laughs> yeah. I just thought it was more in, in line with that. I don't know if it really stretched as far as, as like really leaning into like the idea of Star Wars, mm-hmm. but the idea of, of just fandoms and, and being fans of stories and, and which story is, is the best. Um, you know, the look at the intergalactic light speed was, was fantastic. I think it, it felt familiar while also different enough. Um, that it wasn't like it was like mind-blowingly different. Yeah. You know, they added more of a, a lightning style uh, with with a multi-prism color effect that that looked really really cool. It differentiated it and made it feel you know uh, maybe somewhat unnatural, uh, but at the same time it was it was kind of um, it was it was really cool to to actually just kind of see it. Uh, I know a lot of people online were. Um, uh, talking about how this this scene might line up with the scene in uh, Mando season three episode one where mm. uh, Grogu looks out sees the purgle. Yeah, I was. I think it was. Uh, I mean, I think if we're on... if we're gonna argue that there's some time travel situations going, because I don't, I, I don't, I don't know if they would fully line up. I don't know. Well, this is going on while like I think it has been confirmed that this this is all happening while season three of really Mando is happening. Okay, so there is that possibility of like just a little bit of overlap uh but like i i know i was watching the new rockstar video uh i think it was yesterday and he said he he probably stared at that the scene like for hours just trying to see and he (laughs) he thinks he can make out some sort of shadowy thing but i'm like if you're staring at something long enough man you're probably your mind's just gonna play tricks on you i think it's a bit of mephisto but I, i think it's cool though that we can we can maybe think that there's there was a point to that do you know what I mean that, that right. maybe that's what was drawing Grogu to look out there? It wasn't just the Purgles, but it was mm. it was sensing Ahsoka, right? And that's sensing Ahsoka, right? So I think that um, I think that that's 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 a that's a cool little theory. Um, I know you didn't ask this, but I just you know touching on a long time ago in a galaxy far far away. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that that's you know this is the first time we've ever heard that. In universe, in universe, yeah. Uh, even though you know George wrote these stories so long ago, as as a means of someone was narrating these stories, and this was like sort of akin to like Once Upon a Time. Mm. Uh, this was meant to kind of be that Once Upon a Time, but for this specific universe uh, with with the different stories. So it's really great that. Um, you know, again, it, it was already something that was kind of built into the universe and into the canon, but it was really great that Filoni was able to find a way to uh, like interject this line, and just the way Hu Yang says it, man, like oh. it just like you're like, perfect. let's go, like it was it was the perfect hype moment, right? Just when he when he says it, and as soon as it cuts to black and you see the Ahsoka titles, you're like, yeah, this is. You know, this is this is great. This is great Star Wars right here. And yeah. of course, the way it kind of just takes us into, you know, this is the first and last time we see Ahsoka and Huyang in this episode. So, you know, the fact that it kicks off a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. And now we're on a, a different journey, a different story. It, it was it was perfect. Very, very well done. Well, David Tennant's line delivery, like every time he talks through Hu Yang in this show or ever, uh, is fantastic. And yeah, a long time ago, it was it was such a, a fist pump moment. And I, I literally, I was watching this with Megan and I turned to her and I'm like, it's so easy to impress and make Star Wars fans happy. Like, it's so easy, but they managed it, to do it. Is, it it, it um, is, it, I, I guess it is, but at the same time, it's how you do it, Yeah. right? Like, I think that the way this was done, you know, they're talking about stories of the galaxy. You can't help but obviously when he says a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away, you know, be reminded that the stories that you're watching from Star Wars 
are very much the, like the stories that he's telling, mm -hmm. right? They're not the same ones, but they live in this galaxy as myths and legends that, that you know, people across the galaxy are going to tell. And they're going to start every story with a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. Well, and I wonder, too, if, if that's also a a reference to some of the things that we're going to be getting into and talking about sure. uh, amongst the the planet of Peridia. And I'm wondering if if that is maybe part of this in the sense that like, yeah, for a galaxy to be far, far away from their galaxy, it can't be their galaxy. Right. For sure. And that's and I think that's that's why it was such an, a great way to end this scene. Yeah. With that line delivery to then take us into that galaxy. Stuff, right. Yeah. To take us to that. It's it's almost as if he's setting up the episode that we're about to watch. Right. So it's it's perfect. And I think the the aspect that we are seeing on screen uh, intergalactic travel uh, is huge because I think it opens up so many story possibilities for Star Wars in general, which already had so many opportunities to expand outside of the Skywalkers. So I think this is going to even further push that concept that we can we can really explore so many other aspects of Star Wars of the Force. Um, I think it was awesome. Yeah, the color flickering along, uh, you know, with the lights and just how casual the Purgle were just flying through because it's something they do uh, all the time. Um, as far as like. Ahsoka saying which one was the best I actually think it's kind of almost an in-joke from Filoni to the fans kind of like you're saying in the sense of like like it, it, no matter who's looking at this or watching this and they could agree with Ahsoka you know what I mean it's like oh yeah the the, the original trilogy is the best oh I see what they're doing there meanwhile the prequel fans are like yeah the prequel trilogy is the best I see what they're but doing she there remember she said like she said he says three parts Yes. Right. So is he is he referring to the original three parts? A lot of people have said, is he referring to the original three parts? And she's referring to a new hope or something. Yeah, Yeah. exactly. Or is 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 it three parts as in, you know, uh, you know, the prequels, the original and and that and, and obviously in, in the order in which they were released. Uh, so I, I, I it, it could it could be. But like, well, I think with it's the amount more of less... time with the amount of time that Dave Filoni has spent telling stories in the prequel trilogy, my heart is that he is, that's him saying that's his favorite, is the prequel trilogy. That's kind of what I got out of it. I don't know. I don't really, know. I, I feel like even still, if you think about the prequel trilogy, it came after the original trilogy. So it was the first, right? So but canonically, one, yeah, sure. Okay, all right. Depends. Listen, we're going to keep this debate going for years, apparently. But um, I also do want to say I love uh, Hu Yang kind of saying that for Sabine, it was the only choice. And I mentioned... Uh, yeah, you, you know, that week when she made that decision that for her, it really was the only choice. And I think seeing how Ahsoka handled this conversation is a good indication that she's learning that even through her insight in the force that she she still might not always know uh, the right answer. And I love when Hu Yang says, um, you know, that uh, uh, that is your fear. Or is that your fear to Ahsoka calling? Because when Ahsoka sort of is calling Sabine selfish... And then how she instantly diverts the conversation because literally the episode before she learned the lesson of letting go of fear. And I think it's also showing us the very real fear of Sabine's attachment uh, and how she'll always choose the people that she loves over an entire galaxy. And that's, you know, further cemented with things that are said in the, in the future of this episode. But I just I think this conversation here was just absolutely yeah, fantastic. Oh, Hu Yang is, is, always. Is serving up some introspective you know very heartfelt conversation with with ahsoka but 
yeah, I think it was really fitting that he calls out the fact that, um, you know, it's her fear that yeah. makes her assume that that uh, Sabine would have just did this for her own personal gain. Mm-hmm. Um, which, you know, again, I think that's up to the to everyone to decide uh, exactly what that. Was. I think she did. Like, <laughs> of course she did. Of yeah. course she did. Right. Like, it, there's no doubt that she she didn't. But you know, for Hu Yang to kind of say like, you know. That's your fear consuming you. It's it's so insightful, and again, it just continues this this theme that you know Hu Yang is is just so dialed in on their yeah. emotions, on their thoughts, on their on their feelings. It's like part of me wonders if he's going to die in this in this series. Ooh, if he's gonna get, yeah. So intriguing. It's just of how just of how how important important he is. He is. At the same not. time, though, I I really hope that that doesn't happen. No. So. He'll never die. Um, Back on the Eye of Scion, Sabine is awoken, sensing a presence outside her cell. It's Balin's goal. Uh, And Sabine reminds him that, hey, they had a deal. Uh, And that he he promised her that she'd see Ezra again. Uh, But Balin just walks away and ignores her. On the main deck, Balin meets with Shin and Morgan as they arrive at Peridia. He mentions the whales travel there to die and that it's Mm. a graveyard. Sabine is collected, and together they fly through the large bones uh, to enter the atmosphere, uh, and we get our first glimpse of a planet we've never seen before inside a galaxy we've never seen before. They pass by giant statues of Night Sisters uh, and land on the top of a temple where they're met by three Night Sisters. Uh, the Great Mother welcomes Morgan as a child of Dathomir. She also smells Jedi all over Sabine, uh, and one of them says, it is dangerous. They snare Sabine using their dark magic uh, and force her into yet another prison. Balin explains to Shin that they've entered a land of dreams and madness. He describes the events of Order 66 to his apprentice and how inevitable everything is, the fall of the Jedi, the rise of the Empire, and how it repeats. Shin asks if their alliance with Thrawn will finally bring them into power. And Balin tells her that sort of power is fleeting and that he seeks a beginning so that he may finally bring the cycle to an end. He believes that that beginning is there on Peridia. All right. So there's a lot to talk about in this section here. But first off, huge for Rebels fans. We got Night Sisters in live action. Let's talk about them. Um, and, and do you think that they smelt Jedi on Sabine because she's she's actually sort of becoming one or do you think it was merely her proximity to Ahsoka uh, I, I guess that's yet to be seen but I, I feel like that has a lot to do like slowly we're seeing that Sabine does have some sort of force connectivity it's just not very strong um, mm-hmm. and I think she's again as we've discussed she needs to work through her own personal things to kind of get beyond those hurdles and, and maybe become the Jedi that everyone suspects that she could be yeah um or maybe like i've been saying like maybe she's just not destined to be a jedi maybe she's destined to be something else um but that said like you know uh night sisters were more of i think a clone wars thing weren't they not uh they were they were they were in a couple episodes of rebels but yeah. like, i know like like y- you know there is that I guess one more episode. animated star wars fans it's a big deal for sure and i think that the see this and obviously even Jedi's uh, survivor, um, the video game. Mm-hmm. You know, the fact that the Dathomirians are are have are mattering so much more, uh, and 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 are really uh, a huge part of this place of of Peridia. It's it's fantastic. It gives it, it again. It just feeds into the lore and uh, adds more mystery. And if anything, oh yeah, like if anything, I'm wondering where in the history 
do the Dathomirs and the Jedi and, you know, they, how do they all kind of like stack in terms of, you know, who was first sort of thing. And totally, um, it's, it's clear that obviously they ventured to, you know, I guess what we'll call our Star Wars galaxy. From sure. Peridia, to Dathomir. Um, to, from da- to da- and and found the planet and made it Dathomir, just called it Dathomir. Right. But apparently that's not their home, right? Like now that it's pretty big implications, we've always known Dathomir to be the home of Dathomirians. Yeah. But no, Peridia in another galaxy is actually their home. So it'll be it's interesting to figure out what what made them leave. You know, and is it is it the the thing that that Balin's looking for. Oh, we'll get it. We'll Justin, cool your jets. To want to. Cool your, you're, you're flying through the galaxy right now, like the eye of Scion, and you're sure. leaving little crackles behind you. I need you to cool down a little bit. Um, but, <laughs> but in regards to that, in regards yeah. to that as well, um, you know, seeing the, the, uh, graveyard of Purgles. Oh my gosh. The, dude. First, the first indication of death, um, oh. that we will see from this episode. Uh, and I think that, uh, it's really, really interesting that um you know it's it's a it's a place where they go at the end of their migration to die mm-hmm. uh, which is similar to that of elephants if i'm not mistaken well uh, it reminded uh, me a lot of um the uh the elephant graveyard from the lion king well that's, <laughs> that's, that's kind of what but, I uh, but i think i think it's also actually a thing like elephants will migrate back to their their home if mm-hmm. you will to 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 die mm-hmm. um so i think that that's that's kind of the idea of of what they're doing with with these you know purgles is kind of connecting that sort of um not genealogy but like that that mentality around uh existence um but this planet has weirdness all over like notice the, the dathomirian statues the mouths are like all open and contorted and scary yeah it almost looks like it could be like a microphone of some kind do you know what i mean like that like because like on 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 in our in our galaxy in the star wars galaxy all the Dathomirian statues, their, their mouths were closed, right. right? And so I don't know if there's like some sort of, you know, that's how they were reaching Morgan. Do you know what I mean? Like, Oh, really, like, like through the like, statues like, specifically? Well, like it was just a way, it was like almost like a, a method of, of like amplifying their voices in the galaxy, right? That's so, kind of cool. I don't know. I feel like there's, there's something interesting because the statues look entirely different, right? Like no hands, right? Just mm-hmm. faces with contorted mouths that are like open yeah it was kind of ha- it was haunting yeah right so well they looked they looked damaged right and i think mm. um i think the entire planet looked damaged i think the yeah the 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 like almost like the badlands right again in lion king but i i, I them traveling through like what must have been thousands of dead purgle was just crazy um and i think uh just to kind of like talk about the night sisters i think you know these aren't just any old night sisters i think them being referred to as the great mothers, it must mean they're pretty important. Um, and so, like you're saying, like maybe they are there to continue to reach out because we know there's Night Sisters still, uh, you know, in and around the galaxy. In our, we'll keep, continue to call it our galaxy, the original galaxy, yeah. uh, the OG trilogy galaxy. Um, and I think, you know, I think this is the idea that maybe they have to stay in that place or maybe they they now they finally have a way to escape which is why they're working uh with Thrawn um I loved seeing like hearing them I think the way they talk I think the the, the yeah the voices being doubled um and then you know I think um it was I think Voss in the in the new Rockstars video was talking about uh their names and how they are named after the three Greek 
um, you know, sort of the three fates of Greek mythology, Atropos, Clotho, and Laxes or Lachis. Yeah, man, they, um, they're the three, they're the three in, uh, in Hercules. In Hercules, right, with the thread. the thread. Yeah, with yeah. the thread of life. And I think, yeah, yeah. I think that's really dope. And I'm, I'm wondering if, you know, um, if they're going to continue to sort of focus in on that aspect of the thread. I mean, they do mention it a few times. Um, and then also they, in that video, uh, Voss calls out, um, that they are also called in Greek mythology, the Mori, uh, which is dope because again, that brings back to the name of the owl that represents the daughter that, you know, is with Ahsoka. I think that's so dope. The, I think mythology like our world's mythology is definitely influencing, Filoni and and the stories that he's telling in Star Wars, mm -hmm. you know, it was already broken down, you know, about Balin and Sati and how they symbolize the the wolves that chase the sun and the moon in in, in Norse mythology, right? Here we have Greek mythology. Later, we're going to see something uh, for, of a character that reminded a lot of people of Roman mythology mm -hmm. or samurai, and you know, I think that this this sort of mixing pot of of these these cultural stories. It's great because it, it 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 where else would you draw from? Where did where did George draw from? Right? right. He drew he drew from stories that he knew that were some were fiction, but obviously some were inspired by actual history and meant to symbolize you know characters were meant to symbolize other characters through history. So, you know, I think in a lot of ways, you know, enriching this galaxy with elements like that only makes it stronger. But it also allows people to go down the rabbit hole of what does it all mean, right? <laughs> totally. Right. So um, I also want to shout out uh, Clothau, Clothau or Clotho is pro played by uh, Claudia Black, um, who's Chloe Frazier in the Uncharted games. Uh, I honestly couldn't tell with all the voice doubling that they were doing, but I thought that was really dope. Uh, and I just think that the, the, the fact that they manage the thread of life within Star Wars is really cool. And again, it's just another way that they keep opening up the concepts of magic and, and the force in so many different ways and what it could mean. Well, I'm wondering what's what that thread is, right? Because it's obviously like they're not like gods that manage people's lives, like in as we were talking about with the Greek with the Greek mythology of the three witches, right? But I, 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 I like, you know, their characters are so their their characters are interesting because they kind of, yeah, they're they're obviously a direct reference to the to to the sort of Greek mythology, but there's a lot of the Macbeth with the with the three witches and the idea of of um, you know kind of elusive darkness right that that can't really be pinned down mm -hmm. um, i think that that's sort of what they're symbolizing and you know like you were saying at the end of this episode we'll we'll hear that thread word come up again and i think whatever he wants to use it for hopefully that'll shed a little bit of light as to what the importance is of of the thread because i definitely don't think it's the matter of like they pull out a thread and it's like well this is ahsoka Right. You know, let's cut it. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. The, the, you know, it, what what is what is the thread that they're pulling? If anything, the only thing I could think of is it's the thread of magic, right? They manage the thread of magic and and the magic in the galaxy, right? Interesting. So, uh, they take yeah. away. Maybe they can take away the force uh, from someone or mm -hmm. give it to someone. Um, I do the same thing though. Like I'm wondering if like magic is not like separate from that of the force. No, that's what I mean. Like, I I think I yeah. think the force. Is expand is expanding in our minds as to like what what is the force what can it be uh, and can it you know wh where some people or where some cultures are defining it as magic, um, other cultures define it as the force right so I think it's 
it, I think it can be interchangeable um, within these galaxies. Um, I do think that they, I don't, I don't think they actually smelt Jedi on Sabine. I think it was just uh, Ahsoka, but I also, it felt, it felt so uncomfortable when they called her it um, as if any other force wielder that are, you know, not Dath Miri are just below them uh, for them to call it it. Um, and then I just wanted to, quickly just talk about Ray Stevenson's performance in the subsequent scene here. It just, he's, he's just, he's impressing me more and more. And I think his speech on how he wants to break the cycle of, you know, the rise of the Jedi and then the, the, they lose and then the rise of the empire and over and over and over again. I love the idea that, you know, he's, he's just so done with it and he wants to put an end to history repeating itself. Uh, And I think it's just such, such an incredible performance. Um, and then one last thing I just wanted to call out because we're, we are rarely right, uh, in our predictions, but I, I did, and this isn't the best prediction, but I did correctly predict that Morgan was working with Thrawn because of a promise to bring her back to her culture. And so to see her talk to, you know, the great mothers and for them to be proud, uh, of her and what they've done for her ancestors, um, I think, you know, I, I called that was like, that was going to be her motivation all along. Uh, and so I was just kind of stoked that that sort of came to fruition, uh, in these sequences. So good. So good. Okay. Let's keep going here. Sabine is frustrated by the choices that led her to her current situation, uh, and attempts to use the force yet again. What we think is her finally tapping into the force, uh, is actually the temple and the planet surrounding them trembling. As a massive rebuilt Star Destroyer, the Chimera flies in uh, and lands, engulfing the tower inside it. Uh, inside its main hall, we see a huge army of stormtroopers wearing recycled armor. As Captain Enoch calls attention, they all stand in line and begin to chant, Thrawn! 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 Uh, and we see him... Uh, Grand Admiral Thrawn calmly walks towards them and salutes the Great Mothers uh, and thanks Morgan. He introduces Enoch and Morgan tells him that it'll take at least uh, three rotations uh, to to load the ship. Uh, the Night Sisters inform Thrawn of Balin's prisoner uh, and he recognizes Balin as a general of the Jedi Order. Morgan mentions that the prisoner is Sabine Wren and Thrawn says she'll be of great use to them so let's get into this justin he's here finally grand admiral thrawn what did you think of our reintroduction to the galaxy's most fiercest war strategist well dude uh, all power to uh kevin kiner because that is one hell of, <gasps> of a needle drop so good it was like such a good needle drop moment that music it kicks in uh, it just it amplified everything. Um, you said recycled armor. I I thought of it as repaired armor. Sure. Uh, it looks like a lot of these uh, stormtroopers uh, have seen better days. But and, uh, just to clarify, though, the reason I thought it might have been recycled in particular is later throughout the episode he says our numbers have dwindled since they got there. You know, sure. it's possible they could have maybe repurposed some of the armor from some of the dead stormtroopers to put sure. onto these these newer ones. I don't know. Yeah, uh, in, but in regardless, it all looks repaired. It's held together with, uh, you know, gold binding and, and, and red threads. And uh, I know um, Voss called it out. It, there's a, a Japanese technique where they in pottery where they would do this. And 
they reassemble it. It's similar to what they did in uh, um, the the Rise of Skywalker to Kylo's helmet and how mm-hmm. they reassembled it after he shattered it. Uh, it's a it's a well known Japanese technique, and the, the name the the word escapes me. But um, this is cool. This is like sort of um, with the ongoing theme. You know, we we were introduced to sort of a a death moment as we pass through a Purgle graveyard, and here we see uh, you know the the Chimera obviously being held together, which is also being rebuilt, uh, has been rebuilt. It's sort of been resurrected, if you will. Mm. And much like the stormtroopers that we see, these they're, they're called night troopers, if I'm not mistaken. Um, and, you know, they, they, they look like they've seen hell. Uh, and uh, who knows if they're actually all alive, in my mind. I'm wondering <laughs> if, if we don't have a little bit of some dark magic uh, at work here, yeah. Uh, but that said, it's it is interesting to see how uh, you know. I think it's been about nine to ten years since since the ba- battle of uh, Lothal. Um, so it, it's interesting to see how they've stayed so strong, uh, and and yet you know they look at him as as their leader and as their as the one that's that's you know guiding them. Um, but Thrawn, like his voice, his appearance his everything was was perfect yeah uh with his introduction and you know when you hear uh mickelson's voice it's just it just gives you goosebumps right and i think the first line he says was just so poetic um and and just it was it was something in the vein of like you know what was a dream is now a reality sort of thing i I can't remember exactly but it just added such a layer to the idea that you know he was such an elusive threat and now he is a reality and it's sort of a wink and a nod to the fans that like hey you've heard me you know who i am you said i was going to show up and now here i am sort of thing so i thought it was really thought it was a really great introduction it had a lot of pomp it had a lot of like great presentation to it uh versus another introduction we'll talk about later but um yeah it was it was good yeah what was first just a dream has become a frightening reality for those who oppose and us. and i think that exactly so and that's that is that is such a wink and nod to like the fans of like you know you've heard my name you know who i am uh and here i am yeah right, sort of thing so I, I loved it yeah i think um yeah just going back to thrawn's army um the red bandages i think were were really neat because again kind of following along with like the idea of the night sisters and maybe there yeah, is some of that magic that's sort of working holding them with together. them holding yeah. them together uh enoch looks so freaking oh cool God. and i think the the best part about this episode and you kind of already mentioned it but like i love i love that that so much of the look of this army and his ship and you know just everything that's kind of going on in terms of its reference to history is is so much a representation of who Thrawn is right like a huge part of what makes him such an incredible war tactician tactician uh, is his knowledge of history and the idea that uh, history is what's inspiring these design choices is just I think it's so freaking sick and dude yeah Lars Mikkelsen just like I love I love the fact that like he's been there for so many years but his suit still is able to look so pristine like there's a couple threads sort of missing and and you know he's not as perfect as he could be 
But yeah. the fact that he still looks that good while he's being surrounded by all these other troopers that have all these cracks and things, I just think it just says so much about how important his his own presence is uh, to him. Uh, and I think that's really dope. Um, yeah, his, his right-hand man, uh, Enoch, I think, um, Enoch being the right hand of God uh, in, in our history, looked fantastic i thought he was at first i thought he was he might have been ezra because he's a little short to be a stormtrooper um but i i quickly obviously he's not ezra um it's just anyone in a mask these days no but there was that moment with sabine right when she was asking where ezra was and he approached i was like like, oh shit it's him he's masked off yeah (laughs) i would have been so cool cool. um but it wasn't um also interesting thing to note and uh this is why you need to turn on subtitles but the subtitles do say at the very beginning, um, when you hear Enoch like sort of talking to the army, it says Enoch speaking in alien language, uh, which makes me really think that that maybe some of these or a lot of these stormtroopers aren't even uh, human. Maybe they are the nomads or the bandits of the planet of Peridia that have joined Thrawn's ranks. Sure, sure. He's he's like again. They they said their numbers are dwindling. They have. You reference the catacombs. It's going to take a few, three cycles to to clear it out. What's in those catacombs? It looks like there might be some bodies in those catacombs. I think, you know, the, the fact that Thrawn might think he might have the upper hand by coming back with an army of, you know, un, you know resurrected uh, night soldiers or night sisters and, and, you know, night brothers, it's pretty interesting, right? Like, it's, you know, we haven't really gotten to it yet, but, you know, obviously catacombs usually f- refers to sometimes as as a tomb and i think you know that was my first in- instinct i was like what what's what's in those things right mm-hmm. so could we see could we see and or could we be seeing um you know resurrected you know a night I, I guess you call them night sisters and night brothers is that what you would call them sure right? yeah or just troopers in general i guess troopers in general yeah again yeah. again just giving giving more justification to who merrick was Absolutely. Right? And his death. Yeah. Right. And and all that. So I think it's pretty cool. Yeah, man. Um, and then I do just want to call out because you mentioned the Chimera um, and how it looks restructured. I love that. Yeah, that's definitely from the damage that the Purgles did when they brought them sure. to Peridia. Um, and I just think the shot that they have when the building starts to shake, by the way, when the building starts to shake and, it, and it's they do that fake out with Sabine, like. Uh, kind of for the second time, it does convince me that I was wrong a couple weeks ago that it wasn't her using the force that they just keep doing this over and over again. But I think the way that it's shot is so outstanding. And like, it's such a, it's such a crazy shot of it landing on the tower uh, and that it's just got, yeah, these gold parts that are replacing it. It's just, it's phenomenal. Um, I just shout out again to the cinematography in the show is just larger than the show the set design right like the set design and production design is it's so spot on like that scene when you see all those troopers together it's fantastic because again it's there's just so much to look at like Mm -hmm. they're not pristine clean and white they're they're sort of held together by by red bandages and gold metal and you know they're they don't look like the pristine stormtroopers that we know they look like something else they look resurrected very much like like how the ship looks resurrected mm-hmm. and held together by pieces. So in a graveyard, you know, again, exactly. Yeah. And, and we're in a wasteland and we, we pass through a graveyard. Like there's just, there's such a layer of symbolism about death and resurrection in this episode. That seems very poignant uh, to, to maybe 
bigger themes that we're going to see play out in, in maybe the next two episodes or beyond. Totally. Um, but let's keep going here. Thrawn meets with Sabine and she immediately asks him where Ezra is. He provides her with provisions, a mount, and their latest intel uh, on Ezra's possible location. He reminds her that once they leave, she'll be stranded there uh, and that Ezra may possibly be dead. Sabine cautiously mounts uh, a howler, uh, and as Enoch uh, warns her of nomads, he, pro- he provides her with her weapons uh, and says, die well. Sabine takes off, and Thrawn asks Balin and Shin to follow her, uh, and if she finds Ezra as promised, then they are to destroy them both. Sabine stops as she hears something in the distance. She begins to attempt to locate a signal when suddenly she's shot from her mount. The Howler runs off as a group of bandits begin their attack. She uses a mix of Mandalorian and Jedi combat to take them out one by one. Enoch informs Thrawn that the mercenaries have departed, uh, and Thrawn asks Enoch to send two squads in to assist them. Morgan asks if two squads are going to be enough, and Thrawn mentions how their numbers have dwindled. He reminds her that their primary objective is to escape this galaxy, and that whether Sabine or Bridger are killed or left stranded doesn't matter, and that the same can be said for Balin and Shin. Uh, So let's talk about this fight with the bandits, Justin. Um, And also, I do want to talk about Sabine's like new little friend, little doggo, little cute little doggo boy. <laughs> what did you think of uh, this sequence? Yeah, well, you know, as you opened up the episode talking about like the creatures and the sort of freaks, if you will. Sure. Um, you know, the, the doggos are definitely that. The howlers, if I think they're they're called. Mm-hmm. Uh, at first, when I saw their silhouettes, I was like, "Damn, Lothwolves are on this planet. We're about to get real, mm-hmm. real." Serious, or even like this. the ancestors of Lothwolves. Lothwolves is what I was thinking, like maybe like sure. the original Lothwolves, which is why they kind of look different. Maybe, yeah. I think howlers are actually though different from Lothwolves, is from what I was what I was reading, mm-hmm. um, because they they're more specific, I think, to Peridia, and um, it makes me wonder too. In, in a lot of the early stuff that we were seeing, um, like you're saying, like you know, the, is there a connection? It, there might be a connection between howlers and. And and Lothwolves, but they Lothwolves are also sort of very in, connected force wielding animals. For sure. Will. Yeah, I don't think I, I I don't think that's actually the case. I just it was something that I thought initially when when you see them from a distance. Right. For sure. And I think the howlers though are sort of um, you know like especially the one that Sabine got it seems like again it seems like she, you know she she shows ways that she's might be connected with the force. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it's her way of sort of speaking with this this howler interesting how she interacts with it that kind of makes me think that you know she could be of the jedi um but what's crazy is like you know we've seen sabine fight really really bad with a lightsaber and really really well with her blasters but here she sucked with her blasters and she destroyed them with her lightsaber. yeah so things kind of shifted Mm -hmm. um and who knows maybe it's has something to do about where she is that's influencing her, her approach but uh that said i i thought you know again this 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 part of the episode where she kind of gets stuck and you know sort of thing it, it just sort of felt like we were just kind of slow it, it down dragged on here. quite a bit yeah yeah it was just like oh it was just like sort of like a a, a pause moment right especially because i think stuff is obviously still going on back at this you know castle that god reminds me of lord of the rings wherever yeah wherever. 
Almost like What's a gross Minas Tirith, almost. Yeah, Minas Tirith. Yeah. yeah, it's like dark Minas Tirith, yeah. right? So, <laughs> but like, you know, stuff's happening there, you know, and, and obviously I think they wanted to just draw out this inevitable discovery of her finding Ezra. Um, but yeah, it was cute, I guess. Like, yeah, you know. I mean, I think that, yeah, the sequence that, that we're about to get into of her like scolding the the howler and yeah. be like, no, like, you know, getting mad at him, but... Um, but no, I thought, I thought he was, I thought he was pretty cute. I think it's, it's crazy how, you know, I think Star Wars has a really special ability to, uh, take something super ugly and make it super cute at the same time. Um, as for her fight, like the bandits reminded me a lot of Tuscan, uh, like the Tuscan tribes on Tatooine, um, and there were so many close calls in that fight. Like you were saying, like she really took advantage of that, that, Mandalorian armor that she had thank goodness uh, she had it on yeah. um and then I I will say like I think that sequence of how good their aim is these bandits it just you know it kind of shows that like yeah if I was if I was Thrawn and I needed to replace stormtroopers who are across the galaxy seemingly known as terrible with their aim <laughs> I would replace them with these with these bandits. Um, and I thought the, you know, again, Kevin Kiner up and down this episode, the the taiko drums in this scene as she's fighting just sounds so samurai-esque. It was so awesome. And their armor was so samurai-esque. So I think those those two aspects combined was so fantastic. Um, and then I think uh, I just wanted to shout out a couple more things here. Like Enoch, uh, when he hands her her weapons and he says, die well brought me right back to Norse mythology, right? Where like a Viking or a Norse warrior, like the greatest honor is to die in battle. So for Enoch to say die well, like it, it was a sign of respect in that moment uh, for, for Sabine, which I thought was really, really cool. Um, and then, yeah, I just wanted to shout out the, the moment with Thrawn where he's talking to Sabine, uh, which like, I guess they've interacted before in the show, but just to see them interact again and then in live action was such a, a cool thing. I think this the moment he says, um, the desire to be reunited with your long-lost friend, how that singular focus will reshape our galaxy. Like, <laughs> like what a line for him to say to her there. And I just think it, it just tells us so much about, like, Thrawn is always thinking about the bigger picture and, and how he could he, he truly can never understand where Sabine is is coming from and I, I think the idea of letting go of attachments right I think having an enemy who seemingly is incapable of having attachments and I love how that just sort of fits the overall theme of of kind of the lessons that our heroes are learning so I don't know um, let's keep going here as Sabine continues on foot she scolds her howler uh, who follows uh, anyways just like the good little boy that he is uh, and eventually, after the Howler has a drink of water, they find a sentient being, uh, a hermit crab called a Noti, uh, who whimpers in fear. Sabine calms her beast, uh, and the Noti attempts to communicate with her. Uh, and it, it, you, you see how it excitedly recognizes the symbol on Sabine's pauldron. Uh, and Sabine asks if it knows Ezra, uh, and then it calls out to a bunch of all the other little notes <laughs> and uh, inside their shells while, as they're pretending to be rocks, they all emerge uh, and they begin to lead Sabine uh, and her howler to their village. So Justin, we were talking about how like these, this sort of sequence is kind of slowing things down. Uh, what did you think of the Noti uh, 
uh, and these 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 hermit crab people. Yeah, like they they I, I was wondering if they were actually like hermit crabs because it looks like the shells are like more like backpacks. Right. Like I don't think that they're part of their bodies. I just think that they're they sort of wear them as as a means of decoy because mm-hmm. they're so small. But that said, obviously, well, because they got those cute out. little outfits on. Like, how would they get those outfits? Over their backpack, over their big yeah, giant that's what, backs. Yeah, that's what Voss was saying. Yeah. He was saying like the like those outfits, like they're they're so nicely tailored. Like, <laughs> how do you put them on? But like, I I I think that that's entirely true. I think that like for me, I thought of it as more of a a tactic rather than it being their part of their genealogy or, or their their who they are. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, they, they, this was interesting. I think it's interesting that we would inevitably, uh, you know, that they would know Ezra. Ezra yeah. has a thing for connecting with, with with creatures and and you know, uh, finding a way to help and support them. Um, so I think this is like very fitting that we would meet some sort of new life on this planet that you know inevitably, as we will get to, will you know Ezra will have made as friends. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it, it was interesting, and and again, I think it's one of those things where it's just it's sort of another element that just kind of dragged out the episode a little bit more. Yeah. Um, again, I, I don't know what else you could have done. Right. Like, sure. I think if you rush, if you rush to this, then it's just like, well, it's, it, 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 it becomes even easier for Sabine to find Ezra, which I think for me, like I also why sort of it like, why, why wasn't it easy for, for Thrawn to find? Correct. Him, right? Like, right. Yeah. And, and, and we'll, yeah, maybe we'll, we'll bring that up a little later, but I, I, I will say like, um, I just I I couldn't stop smiling over the ridiculousness of these these creatures, but then I remembered like it's a Dave Filoni story, and it brought me right back to all the different villages and creatures that were introduced in the Clone Wars. And this episode, like this section of the episode, felt very like season one, two, or three of Clone Wars. <laughs> like I just I don't know. I think the 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 Howler was charming, and I loved seeing how committed it was to being Sabine's friend. Um, but this section, yeah, it, it did, it dragged out a lot and I think it was, it was padding. And I think this is where the pacing, um, kind of slowed to a crawl, uh, quite a bit. Um, but again, for, for, for Filoni to, to be writing these creatures and these characters in, um, I can grow to love them just like I love Anzalans or, or Ewoks. Um, but let's keep going here. Balin and Shin find the bodies of the bandits who attacked Sabine. Shin asks Balin if he knew Bridger, uh, and he says no, he was too young, and that he comes from a line of Boken Jedi who trained him as a Jedi after the Order fell. Uh, Shin asks Balin if he misses the Order, and he says he misses the idea of it, but not the truth or weakness. That there was no future there, but that there is a future on Peridia what was once the great witch kingdom of the Dathmiri. Uh, he says the great mother's existence confirms it, and Shin says they all seem eager to leave, uh, and Balin says perhaps they flee a power greater than their own. Uh, he says something calls to him, that something stirs on that planet, uh, and they're interrupted by more bandits, and Balin chooses not to attack, stating the enemy of my enemy is our friend for now. Uh, so Justin... Let's get into it. You've been waiting all episode, it seems, to talk about this part. Uh, what do you think Balin senses on Peridia? What is what is a power that is greater than that of the Night Sisters? Well, I don't know. Like I, I immediately thought of Bendu, and I'm I'm glad that there's other people like uh, 
the new Rockstars crew and heavy spoilers that also have theorized about it. Um, I, I like the idea that it could be Bendu and yeah. the importance that he has uh, with being sort of an agnostic. Uh, you know, he he doesn't doesn't live on light or dark, right? He's very much that of, of what, what Balin is. Mm-hmm. Um, he he embraces both sides of the force um, and understands it. And, you know, I guess he's very gray. I guess he would also almost be like, like the father, uh, which I thought was a really interesting parallel between Bendu and, and, and the father. Um, I'm not really sure what else it, it could be. I know that new rock has had their own theories about potentially the, the gods of Mortis, uh, the Mortis gods or um, uh, the, the, I think they call them the, the sisters of uh, the wills. Is it the Wills? I'm not sure. It's so the last two episodes of season six of Clone Wars, um, Yoda goes on a, a journey. Yeah, the the Wills on, from the yeah, journey I mean, of the Will or the the uh, the Journal of the Wills was the original Star Wars, right? Well, yeah, that's the that's the original. Yeah, that's what it was originally called. Mm-hmm. But these these sisters are there. They manifest themselves as different personas. Yeah, um, and they're basically the center of Metaclorians. Like that's that's what the life well, that's what it was. He went to the life well of where Metaclorians were, and he they found these sisters. So I like again, you know, we were talking about this before, like oh, bring in the Mortis gods and stuff like that. Uh, now even now when we're talking about bringing in the Mortis gods or bringing in Bendu or bringing in you know these these sisters from from another life well of Metaclorians, it's it's. As we were talking about with the Morse gods, it's so high and above what casual Star Wars fans are going to know. Sure, that it it's probably not those things. Yeah. It could be something entirely new. Yeah, um, which it's which would be interesting. Um, but I think if it's going to be anything, Bendu makes the most sense because you could probably like a the environment looks very Bendu. Sure, like he could be hiding in plain sight somewhere. Yeah, like a little right? like a noti, like a rock person. Exactly, yeah. and just kind of like bust out, and there he is. Um, but not only that, he's singular. Um, and I think it would be easier to get his story across rather than five or three different characters sure. or, you know, what their beings are and stuff like that. Um, so yeah, I, I honestly, it could, it could really be anything and I, I would be interested, but you know, I'm, I'm going to go with something that we knew and I'm going to say Bendu. I think, uh, you're not far off in terms of like what I'm also thinking. Like, I think whatever he's searching for has to do with the prophecy. He knew Anakin he knew what Anakin became. And so I think there's so much reference with his history and the order and the the temple uh, that he's, I think he's searching for a way that he can be the one to bring balance to the force. And I think whether that's through the Bendu or the Wills or the Mortis gods, I think like, I think he's trying to do something that I, I actually kind of thought that Ahsoka would want to do within the world between worlds, which is rewrite history. Right. Like, I think he wants to do like I, I, he says he says he wants to find the beginning. And so I'm wondering if he finds the beginning through the world between worlds. Right. Like as if this is a, through a larger plot of whatever James Mangold is working on. Right. Where that movie is taking place with the inception of the Jedi. And un, unfortunately, like with Ray Stevenson's passing, I, I don't think that the character will ever be able to get to that point. Um, but it could be something that Shin carries forward right we're we're looking at this stories uh, these these stories of masters and apprentices and so i'm wondering if the there's sort of that concept of maybe for her 
her story going forward will be to carry on the the idea of attempting to balance the force by going back to the beginning by stopping the the repetitiveness of the Jedi rise and fall the Empire rises and falls uh, and I think that would be I don't know I think that would be pretty nuts if that was the case yeah it would definitely be pretty nuts I, I I'm wondering if if there is like I I think this this series has sort of reshaped the world between worlds is mm-hmm. um in in some ways that i don't know i i think again i think the whole time travel aspect or or being able to undo things based on time travel i think that that's kind of gonna go out the window but there's that one um, guy justin there's that one guy in in rebels that one like prophet dude in the black cloak that's like that's like he who rule who who accesses the world between worlds has the ability to rule the galaxy or some you're ta- shit. Yeah, you're talking about the guy. Yeah, you know what I'm talking, talking about? about the, the archaeologist yeah. who was trying to discover. And let's also just call out that portions of the Lothal Temple are still on the Chimera ship. Yeah. So, and that happens in the finale, right, where Thrawn takes him to that part of the ship, and um, the Emperor is there, but is you know Palpatine and tries to get him to sort of use his powers to unlock this temple mm-hmm. um but he doesn't fall for it and it kind of destroys so that that's that's still in play but yeah i i i i think you're you're right like they there's that i think there's that myth and that legend to to it and and maybe that's 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 what we could see happen but like then again it calls into question what we saw in last week's episode and maybe that is the parallel maybe that is going to be the thing that kind of either differentiates it or helps to solidify what it is mm-hmm. is whatever this thing is that that Balin's looking for but the way he talks about it something stirring something it's it feels like it's something and someone sure rather but, than but he was also than, so like it seemed like there's been a shift in his character once he arrives at Peridia, right? Where he, he before he was kind of like he's like, oh, Peridia doesn't exist. It's a it's a myth. It's a this. It's a that. I think in the back of his mind, he it you know since he kind of going on that journey and and that sequence with Morgan, I think maybe maybe it started to unlock something in him where he was I think able he to. Was, sort I of, think he was. He had a poker face. He had a so you think face. he knew he about where... this the entire time? Yes, and he believed yes. it the entire time. He did, and he didn't want to let her know. Interesting. That what she wanted to go there for was something more, mm-hmm. right? He just wanted her to know that uh, he's he's along for the ride, right? And so he doesn't care. He doesn't. He has no qualms about getting stranded there. Interesting. No, I don't think so, and I also think he knows that they're probably going to try to off them the first chance that they get, mm-hmm. or leave them behind. Mm-hmm. I think he's again, he's so dialed in that I'm pretty sure he's already seen that. So, yeah, I think he's he's very well aware. I think the entire time it's been a poker face. Oh, there it's myths, it's legends. He he's kind of portraying himself as someone who might not who lacks belief, mm-hmm. who lacks a sense of of conviction, right? So, he think he's now that he's here and he knows that it exists, he kind of has a sense of validation that whatever he's been looking for does exist. And it's right? even stronger. Um, one last little tidbit here, just the, the, as the camera pulls behind the bandits, um, it's really weird. I don't know if this was a mistake or not, but the subtitles say bandit leader speaking in Noti language, which I just thought was an odd choice. Like, I don't know why the bandits would, (laughs) would speak the Noti language and maybe they are Noti somehow. I don't know. I don't know. I just thought it was a weird little, 
uh, addition. <laughs> but back, speaking of the Noti, back at their village, we see a thriving community with families all living and supporting each other. Uh, there's even the little baby one that was really cute. Uh, as Sabine walks further in, she hears a voice behind her say, I knew I could count on you. She turns and sees Ezra Bridger with, like, the bluest of blue eyes ever, uh, long hair and a beard. They embrace with a hug, and Ezra says he has so many questions. Uh, he tells the village to pack up uh, and then tells Sabine uh, they never stay in one place for too long. He thanks Sabine for coming and says, I can't wait to go home. Justin, Ezra is back. Um, what did you think of our reintroduction to Ezra, and what do you think the conversation is going to be when Sabine catches up on what's transpired over the past however many years? Yeah, it's been like nine years, I think it is. Um, yeah, well, that we'll have to wait and see. But you can see that she's reluctant to even get into any sort of details about how she found him, how she got there. It's all it's all very interesting in, in terms of, you know, we'll see how that unfolds. But I like the reveal here of of Ezra mm -hmm. I think it mirrored that of the reveal of Anakin in the world between worlds just the way the camera wrapped around Sabine and revealed like a figure behind her out of focus and then you grab the focus and then you recognize that it's him uh, his look is great he looks like his dad uh, which is which is great the the little image of his dad that he would always hold in, in Rebels and he would always look at you know the goatee the long hair the mm -hmm. crazy blue eyes the blue eyes are a bit much, but I, I understand bit. his character had blue eyes. It just they look like contacts, right? Like well, they because just look like blue like, contacts. Yeah, Vandy's eyes, like I googled, they're they're very brown. They're very dark brown. So like to to put blue over top of it might be might have been trickier, which is why they had to go for like the the super blue eyes. <laughs> no, but like I think again, it's just like it's it's to create a, a sense of continuity between them because his eyes are super blue in the show. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, but again, I, I think that it's just it's apparent that they're contacts. Do you know what I mean? Sure. Like it's it's not it's not like it's his real eyes. And, you know, they're not going to like mask his eyeball for every frame to try to make it look like <laughs> as authentic as possible. But to your point, did it need to be so striking blue? Could it have been like a gray? Blue? Yeah, I would have been OK with like a Something dark blue. A it's fine. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Something a little bit, you know, maybe more of a tint rather than a <laughs> a sort of striking blue. Um, but he, his look is cool. I, I love the banter that they kind of get into. It just, it felt very brother sister reminiscent of of who they are. You know, kind of ragging on each other. And and you know, uh, I love that his first line is, you know, I knew I could count on you because that's where his last words yeah. were. Sabine, I'm counting on you. And she didn't know what he meant. And now she, she, you know, all of this time she she knew it's to find him and to bring him home. Yeah, he sounds so much. Uh, like Taylor Gray, who voices uh, Ezra in Rebels. Like, he sounds... Like, there were certain things he says where I was just like, that's just... That sounds so... The inflection. Perfect. Yeah, yeah he must have he must have studied up, which is fantastic. And I think um, the the there's a little moment that I loved that he did in his performance where he says, um, uh, hey, it worked, didn't it? And then he leans in and says, didn't yeah. it? Did it? Because, like, yeah. he, he's been there for this long wondering if what he actually did was successful um and like he's got a lot to catch up on like two death stars worth of information <laughs> to catch up on um so it's gonna be really interesting to see how sabine explains it all to him and uh, how she explains you know as you were saying like what she had to do to get to him but when he says 
I can't wait to go home. And he just smiles. And I was just like, oh, no. <laughs> oh, no. Like, it's it's not happening, Ezra. It's not happening at least, you know, this season, uh, I, I don't think. But I think yeah. it's I think it could happen. You think they're going to get out of this galaxy this season? Ahsoka's on the way. Yeah. So we'll see what happens. But, like, obviously, we need to see... We need to see some stuff happen, but that said, we'll we'll talk about that in a little bit. Cool. <laughs> All right. Well, as Thrawn's ship is being loaded up, the Night Sisters meet with Thrawn and Morgan to inform them that another comes. A Jedi rides amongst the Travelers. I love how that's, they call them the Travelers. Uh, Thrawn quickly deduces that it it is Ahsoka alive and on her way, uh, and uh, they they need to prepare accordingly. He asks Morgan for Ahsoka's background, history, homeworld, her master, everything. And he commands, uh, and he commands that if a star wall approaches Peridia, that it should be destroyed with prejudice. He then asks the great mothers for the aid of their dark magic yet again. Uh, so we've already, you already kind of mentioned it earlier. Um, you know, let's talk about what was being loaded up. Uh, what Thrawn means by yet again uh, for the great mothers' dark magic. Well, yet again, I'm wondering if he's already used it to resurrect some people or to keep what army that he has alive. Mm-hmm. It'll be interesting to see what is the big plan here. Uh, there's there's a lot of those, I'm going to just call it t- coffins, tombs. They look whatever. like floating. Well, they look a lot like the, the same things that like, like, you know, like how they would carry bodies during the war. Like they'd have those floating, um, you know, yeah, coffins or, or you know, differently. And you notice how like when one is floating by, it's like it's shaking. And you kind of like I I was getting I was listening back and I went back on Disney Plus and I looked at some of the stuff with the Night Sisters and and YouTubed a few scenes and like yeah like some of the sounds that are coming out of that coffin if you will do sound like an undead situation going on. I I honestly think the 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 thing here is to hopefully bring back what's left of these Night Sisters and Night Brothers and hopefully bringing them to the cause of of Thrawn and what he has planned to mm-hmm. sort of re-seize the Empire and, or rebuild the Empire. And maybe he's building it on the backs of an alliance with the Dathomirians and, you know, to, to kind of strike a, a deal. Uh, yeah. And they're going to give him soldiers. Again, it just calls back into like, you know, there was so much buildup or, or not buildup. There was just so much mystery around Merrick's character. Um, and, you know, he really ended up being no one. But his death was super important yeah. because it was like, whoa, what was that? Um, so I think that in in that moment, that's sort of the first indication of we could be seeing something else like that. Totally crazy if we do, yeah, see some confrontation between Ahsoka Sabine and some of these these you know night troopers or stormtroopers, whatever you want to call them. Um, and you know, we see some of that happen. They start I mean, exploding, yeah. and green smoke comes out, yeah. and yeah, like I think I think Merrick. Um, was maybe like the first sort of successful uh, version of what we're looking at. But you'd have to imagine that if they can't get off, they can't get through the galaxy, that there must have been some other way that they would have, you know, intergalactically sent that, you know, the soul or the essence of whoever that was into that Inquisitor's body, right? Or into the Inquisitor's dead body, right? So if, if they didn't have a way to travel then they would have had to have done that in, in some other dark magic way um, remotely, if you will. Or maybe they worked through other Night Sisters within our galaxy, as we like to call it, um, to to create Merrick. Maybe. I Maybe at the same time, too, it's like 
like maybe um again like we were talking about before maybe morgan did it maybe it was sort of like a loose spell right she wasn't so strong with it like i i don't imagine like again i don't imagine that the night sister somehow sent merrick to them do you know what I mean like yeah i think that so you're thinking they think that- they helped morgan to create merrick remotely either that or we know that this is a thing that that the night sisters do yeah it's not like it's unknown like there was a whole episode where they just had knights night sisters falling from like like pods in the sky then they would be attacking people yeah uh so it's 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 something that is sort of ingrained in their culture or in their belief is this idea of life beyond life um, so I, I'm not, I, I, I wouldn't be surprised if, if Morgan was like, well, we could use this, this guy cause he's, you know, America and he, cause he's not, not fully dead. So let's resurrect this, you know, uh, inquisitor. Right. And, and then maybe instruct Balin to kind of get him up to, up to speed, if you will. Uh, which is exactly. why I think she says like earlier in the, in the season, she's like, is he, is he going to be able to pull it off? Right. And maybe yeah. Balin is, is, took him under his Continuous wing a little training. bit. Yeah. yeah exactly. Interesting. Because he's not, he's not, he's not fully, that would like, make he's sense. sort of rebirthed. Right. Yeah. So, so, you know, and I don't think, and I think again, um, you know, he says, he says to them too, or he says to Shin, now that I, I rewatched the episode, like, you know, the, the guards won't be enough. Right. And then he looks and he says, but you will be, and he was really referring to Shin. Like Shin will be more than enough mm. to hold them off. Yeah. Um, and you know, by by that means, it's you know, Merrick obviously bites the dust. I again, I think it was more of like a, a sort of thing that was probably thrusted upon him to have to like take this this undead or this yeah this re reawoken uh, Inquisitor and try to like as you said get him up to speed. But yeah, I think what happened there is its own separate thing. I think it's just more about the idea of us knowing that it exists as a means to kind of, again, bring back and resurrect uh, the undead. And uh, it'd be crazy, though, if uh, Thrawn wants to somehow resurrect Vader. That would be crazy, right? But, I mean, this is the thing. Like, how much do we how much do we know of what Thrawn knows being away from all this for so long, right? Like, does he know? Yeah. Is he aware? How much are, are the Night Sisters able to communicate back and forth with Morgan for her to kind of keep them up to date on, okay, this happened, okay, another Death Star exploded. Like, you know what I mean? Like, I think there's going to need to be... it'll just be interesting to see where Thrawn is uh, in all of this uh, as well. Um, And then he's interacted with Vader, right? We know that. Yeah, for sure. But I just mean like, again, like he wouldn't know that maybe he doesn't know that Vader is dead. Right. Like with that happening while he was gone. Um, I will say um, Filoni loves pulling from all sources of, of star Wars, uh, let alone his own animated stuff. I did do a quick Google search. The only thing I could find besides the black armored death troopers in Rogue One is there are death troopers in a mobile game uh, called Star Wars Commander, and uh, and they were called death troopers. And there was this limited time campaign called The Sickness, uh, where they brought back like zombie stormtroopers. So that's the only thing I could find. Uh, you know that that they maybe he is sort of pulling from and adapting, which I think is really cool. Um, but I also love how Thrawn wants to know everything there is to know about Ahsoka, like him learning about, you know, everything even more. And especially him learning about, um, her relationship with Anakin, I think is going to be so powerful when he inevitably 
you know, uh, is confronted by her. And I, I can't wait. Um, I, I love how, you know, we, we sort of see he's he's so collected and he just he knows the exact information that he's going to need to get in order to take her out. Um, just mm-hmm. Lars is just he's killing it. Um, but I, I, you know, I want to know, Justin, as we wrap up this watch club, do you have any idea for the next two episodes uh, what's going to happen in this series? Yeah, I really don't know what's going to happen in, in the next two episodes. I think, as I was talking about last week, I think that, you know, this this episode, along with the next two episodes, are really a, a th- sort of one, two, three to a finale that I, I know we're not going to get necessarily a happy conclusion to, mm-hmm. but we are going to get a sense of what's next. And that, that really does excite me more than anything than, than getting any sort of resolution to what has happened. I think Ahsoka is a little more resolved though, which is exciting. And as we predicted, this episode was going to deviate away from her. We we spent a whole episode last week with her that was very, you know, groundbreaking and, and revelating for uh, for her for her character. So it's only natural that we would now get the ball rolling mm-hmm. in these last three episodes. And this does feel like the part one of a of a three part closure um to this season. Um but you know I, I think I've kind of hinted at some some theories here. I I'm wondering if there's a plan to sort of resurrect uh you know resurrect Night Sisters, Night Brothers uh that ha- are you know isolated here on on Peridia, bringing them back to the the OG galaxy as you said and and you know you let them be the soldiers uh of of this new war um which will be interesting to see how 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 that all transpires um i i wonder if we will get a confrontation between Thrawn and Ahsoka in the finale um where it's more a i don't think they're going to go lightsaber duels cuz again I, I, we'll see I don't think, obviously, I don't, I don't know how uh, Thrawn is going to fight. Like we've seen him fight in animation right. when he's fighting the droids and he's training, yeah. And we've seen him fight to a certain degree, but like I just, I just don't know how it's going to look here with Lars Mikkelsen fighting. But I can see him being a, a sort of a intellectual chess player, sure. if you will, where he's sort of almost like the Emperor or like Balin did with with Sabine, using his words to kind of stir as a knife inside of Ahsoka yeah. uh, to solicit some sort of reaction. Gonna break her down. Yeah, yeah. exactly. And, and basically understand her because that's what he does really, really well. So, yeah, uh, I don't know if that's what you want to know uh, with, <laughs> with, but uh, yeah, I, I think that I'm excited for, for what it is. I think this first episode of, of this, the last, last three is, is solid. It's, it's like the, the, penultimate penultimate (laughs) absolutely (laughs) yeah no and i I think again i think it was fantastic with what we got i think if you want to know want tano uh i want tano Tano, what you want what i want tano (laughs) Uh (laughs) i think i think for me like like the only thing that can happen um maybe sabine and ezra have one final confrontation with balin and shin uh and if i'm going off of like my concept of Balin is searching for the world between worlds that he is searching for completing the prophecy. Um, I'm wondering if maybe Ezra tries to convince Balin that whatever he's looking for is not there uh, and that Thrawn just like used them uh, and and is is wanting to leave them. I, I think it'll be interesting to sort of see that dynamic of them having that conversation, um, especially considering that Ezra 
and Balin, like that they don't know each other. Um, I think it would be a huge cliffhanger ending if they attempted to get back to Thrawn's ship in time and end up missing it. Because I think like this is, like you were saying, we're not getting a resolution to Thrawn's storyline. This is the beginning of Thrawn's storyline. I, I really do think that, you know, Dave Filoni's movie is going to focus in on maybe the end of Thrawn's storyline. So I think we've got a lot to go between now and then uh, to kind of get more of that character. Um, and then I think as far as all the stuff with like the Wills or the Bendu or the Mortis gods, I think we could we could still see that, but just not in these next two episodes. Um, I think this, honestly, out of everything we've, we've watched so far, um, I really hope that we do get a, a season two of Ahsoka. Um, I'm really hoping that we just get more from these characters and this 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 storyline as we lead up to that movie. Um, and then you predicted that Hu Yang uh, might die. I think Morgan Elsbeth is going to die uh, before the end of this series. I think that's a bit safe, but I do think she is. And I think as great as she's been in this series, I wasn't too hot on her at the, at first. I think she's gotten better and better and better. And I think she's now reconnected with the Great Mothers. I don't think there's really more for her. Um, and I also want to predict that Balin won't die. Um, I think Ray Stevenson's performance is just too, too fantastic. And I think the initial plan was to have him as a much larger part of this overall story. Um, so yeah, those are, those are kind of what I want to know and, and what I sort of am thinking of for the next two episodes. Uh, and I also think Ahsoka is left behind with Ezra and Sabine. Like, I don't actually think they get out of this galaxy before the season ends. Uh, but that's it for this episode. Um, so let's get to our, or I guess we still have our overall thoughts. So let's get to our overall thoughts uh, and final score, which we're going to be rating on a scale of one to five green little freaks. Um, yeah, I think this episode delivered on the final, on finally showing us Thrawn and Ezra in one episode. Uh, it was it was a well-earned, well-deserved episode. Um, I, I think it, it handled it all really, really well. Some really great stuff that was introduced here, some things that are, are sort of challenging the existing Star Wars canon, things that open up new doors. You know, Night Sisters are back, uh, a whole new galaxy to look at. Um, you know, Thrawn was great. You know, Lars Mikkelsen, just he picks up this role like it's nothing. Like it was just like he was waiting to do it's this. Just, it's so, him. It's him. And, uh, you know, just on his entry and his, his first line, uh, just such so such such power. Um, the show continues to deliver on all fronts as being just perfect Star Wars. Like I was saying at the top of the show, like this is just this is what you get when you lean into the sort of the the the, the fantasy, the 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 lore, the the sort of mythos of of this of of Star Wars and and go further, right? Like I think Filoni is, you know, all this all these analogies that he's just cooking <laughs> with these scripts, and and it's you know he's. He's just doing what he does best, and that's wholeheartedly putting himself in these, you know, putting his mind into these Star Wars stories and, and expanding them beyond what anyone really knows. You know what I mean? Like, everyone thinks that they know Star Wars really, really well, but I don't think anyone knows Star Wars as well as Filoni. And that's, and I don't even think that Filoni would say he knows Star Wars that much, 
right? Like I think he's he just knows how he wants to tell these stories mm-hmm. and what he what he wants to be influenced by. Um, so yeah, this was this was great. There are some pacing issues though in this episode specifically that can't go unnoticed. Um, a lot to do with these little creature characters that we were introduced to. You know, the howler was was cool, but yeah, that whole moment with getting scolded and stuff like that. It was as cute as it was. It was a little bit of a padded moment. And then, you know, meeting the Noti people. Great. Cool. Uh, you know, we got more creatures, but, you know, again, it just felt like padding. So, you know, whenever an episode shows its head, it has moments where it's showing a little bit more of a slowdown pace and, and it's noticeable. I always feel like, you know, again, that's just a, 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 a narrative thing. Mm-hmm. You know, they're just kind of slowing it down. Um, but leading into the inevitable reveal of, of Ezra, it was it was handled well. Um, and unlike Thrawn's, which was a lot of pomp, a lot of presence, a lot of like, you know, majesty, uh, you know, for Ezra, it was soft. It was very grounded. It was very real. And I think that's just a reflection of who his character Absolutely. is and who, is, who, who he has always been. Uh, so I think it was handled really, really well. Um, needless to say, this episode was great. Like I was saying, like I've been saying this entire time. So I'm going to be giving it four out of five green little freaks. I'm right there with you. I think this, this, there were so many phenomenal aspects, uh, to this episode that had pacing issues. Right. And I think, um, I also think there was a little bit of plot convenience with how fast, uh, Sabine found Ezra. Uh, and you know, I think we talked about the idea of like, Ezra's connection to animals so maybe he called the howler to her and uh, or to, to him and maybe that's what happened but um I just think you know it was phenomenal to get Ezra and Thrawn revealed in the same episode uh and I I, I kind of just I don't know I think it was it's such a big planet maybe it could have taken two episodes to get to Ezra and here I am saying that they went too fast when I you know a few episodes ago you know episode three I was like okay let's go <laughs> so I I mean I, I get why it had to be the way that it was um, but you know I think it, it the way that it played out was a little too convenient that said the the massive shots of the chimera or the planet of Pridia were stunning. The the visual language in this episode went so hard. The ideas and the way they used real world history and mythology to inspire choices in design and storytelling was was excellent. Given that this episode introduced our favorite historian, Thrawn, uh, and yeah, Lars Mikkelsen is just he's perfect. Uh, and I just I can't wait to see him change the course of his galaxy. So yeah, I think like the the overtly long uh, noty hermit crab Clone Wars season two esque silliness aside, um, I I have to give this episode a solid four out of five green little freaks. Uh, but that is it for this watch club for Ahsoka. Uh, for Star Wars Ahsoka Part 6. We hope you enjoyed it. And if you did, make sure to subscribe to us wherever you like to listen to podcasts, if you haven't already. And if you want to write into the show with your thoughts or your predictions on the shows we cover uh, in Watch Club, well, let me just calm down my howler, Justin. Tota! Tota! Uh, so that he can let you know how you can reach us. They can reach us at wearegeekcentric at gmail.com. That's wearegeekcentric at gmail.com. Or they can reach out to us on Twitter at geekcentricyt or on Instagram that we are geek centric. Also, you can join our discord uh, and keep up with us there. You know, talk about this watch club, share your theories directly with us. You know, what did you think of Peridia? What did you think of the graveyard of Purgle? 
uh, Purgatory. No, I guess it wouldn't be a graveyard, but you know what I'm talking about. Um, you can you can join our Discord through the link in our description. Uh, we also have a new episode of This Week in Geek Out covering D23 and the latest announcements made for Disney Parks. Uh, I'm not actually on that one, so I gave it a listen. It got me hyped for the future of parks and our future trips to them. Uh, keep in mind, we also have a ton of other episodes covering the latest and greatest summer releases out now, including our spoiler-free reviews for I Am Groot Season 2, uh, Expendables 4, uh, Star Wars Ahsoka Episodes 1 and 2, Only Murders in the Building Season 3, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles Mutant Mayhem, uh, and Haunted Mansion. Plus, we have a ton of great interviews you can check back with all sorts of Star Wars folks, uh, including Hayden Christensen himself, uh, Anakin Skywalker. You can check out all those interviews either here on your podcast service of choice or over on YouTube at youtube.com slash geek centric. Uh, this is, there's going to be a lot to, to talk about uh, as the hot geek summer begins its transition into the cozy geek fall. I'm wearing these comfy sweaters and long sleeve shirts. I'm loving it. Um, and, uh, and we also have um, our recap of fan expo 2023. If you're not quite done with summer yet and you want to go back, Check out our, our recap of Fan Expo 2023. We also have some additional fun coverage, some fun videos that we put out uh, that Justin worked hard on on our uh, Instagram and TikTok. Uh, but Justin, thank you so much for joining me for this Watch Club. And as we say, we are no Jedi. <laughs>